Welcome to Lawyers Living Well, a production of the State Bar of Georgia's Attorney Wellness Committee and the Lawyers Assistance Program. Lawyers, this is your resource for all things wellness. It is our goal to encourage you to live well. Welcome, everyone, to Episode 6 of the Lawyers Living Well podcast of the State Bar of Georgia. I'm Lynn Garson, Chair of the Bar's Lawyer Assistance Program. Today, I will be interviewing Marcus Sandifer, whom I have known and admired as I watched his journey through Emory Law School, interning for Judge Hatchett, practicing at Austin and Bird's New York office, and now back in Atlanta with DLA Piper. Marcus, you are one of the most thoughtful, intuitive, and empathetic people I know, and I particularly want to hear your voice in this critical time. We thought we were dealing with a lot with just COVID, you know, but now it turns out that we weren't. Since George Floyd was killed on May 25th, we have all been rocked by a multitude of feelings ranging from outrage and fury to heartache and anguish and everything in between. As a young black man in your fourth year of practice, I have a few questions for you. And actually, you know, I would have more than a few, but we've got limited time here. So my first question is, in the past, you and I have often talked about the fight for access, visibility, and awareness for people who struggle with mental health and substance use issues. Now this fight is overlaid by the fight for racial justice that has given rise to 16 days of protests and counting since George Floyd's death, and last but not least, the fight against the coronavirus. As a young Black lawyer, how do you make sense of the interplay among these three struggles? Well, first of all, thank you, Lynn, for inviting me on to the podcast. I'm very happy to be here with you today. Um, and this is a very important topic, so I'm glad that you invited me to your podcast. So as a young Black man and lawyer, this is a critical intersection when it comes to struggling for visibility in a legal profession where we are historically underrepresented and also having ambition to be as successful as you can and stand out amongst your peers. When I, we talk about access to visibility and awareness, it often comes with looking for opportunities to excel at your work, get substantive projects and assignments where you can be thought of respectfully by the partners and the leadership of your firm. But with that comes a lot of being social, being out, you know, really trying to climb your way up the ladder and make a name for yourself. And sometimes it adds on a lot of extra stress. And what's the outlet for stress? A lot of substance abuse, a lot of drinking, a lot of coping mechanisms that we don't often talk about. And as a black person, a person of color, that's something that we definitely don't talk about in our community as well as we should. I'm found it very challenging as a black attorney to one, work extremely hard to be an exceptional lawyer in a very, very stressful environment, and then not take a lot of that stress home. Because the first thing you want to do when you get home is relax, and sometimes that comes with, I'll make myself a drink. And the next thing you know, you're having a drink every night, three to four nights a week. And that's what kind of leads you down a bad path. Then you add in a lot of our current events that have been happening with the George Floyd incident, with COVID-19. And a lot of those incidents hit home, 
particularly in the African-American community, where there's not a lot of access to great health care. So I personally have had family members impacted by COVID-19. I had two uncles get sick from it, and one of my uncles passed away. So this has really touched me in a personal way and really highlighted the fact that, you know, even though I've been able to be successful and have a very thriving career, the COVID-19 pandemic is just one person removed from me and it affects members of my family. Couple that with the George Floyd incident, you know, I worked on the Philando Castile case when I was in law school while working with Judge Hatchett. I was on the ground in Minnesota, so I understood that a Black man can be pulled over for a routine police check and not make it home. So to see the images of George Floyd, you know, ironically in Minnesota four years later, it really brought back that emotion that I felt. And I just really resonated with the fact that I could have been George Floyd on any day. So, you know, it is challenging. And just because you're a lawyer and you're having a very, you know, what people would say respectful career, you're doing things that are beneficial to your community, you're not far removed from two major things that are happening that could impact you personally. Marcus, thank you. And uh, before I say anything else, I want to say how sorry I am about your uncle. You know, when I said the introduction, I said, you know, we're dealing with COVID. We thought that was the most we had to deal with. But that was just an abstract, you know, that we're all like having to stay at home and, and deal with feelings of isolation. You've lost a family member. So that puts a face on it, I think, for everybody. And, and I'm sure we will have listeners who have also tragically been touched in the same way. But it, it, it makes it very real. And I'm very, very sorry. Um, what advice do you have for the Black community to help maintain stability and mental health in the current environment? You know, you were talking a bit about that before. And I know that as you mentioned, there's extra stigma against mental illness in the Black community. And there's also, I think, extra resistance against getting help. So if you could talk a bit about that as well, that'd be great. Well, I think the first step, Lynn, is acknowledging that mental health is a very, very serious issue in Black communities and communities of color, period. The first step is acknowledging that this is real and it's impacting a lot of the people in our community. Black people have always been told, work hard, keep your head down, don't show too much emotion. You're there to just, you know, get the job done, bring home the bacon and be a great provider for your family. But jobs are stressful, as we know. You know, work is stressful. And when you're in a profession like the legal profession, where it really takes passion and dedication and you have to be genuinely interested in serving clients. You can't just leave that at work. It comes home with you. So we bring home a lot of that stress, which turns into a lot of mental health issues at times. But the first step is acknowledging that mental illness and mental illness is real. And until the community says, we're going to acknowledge this and we're not going to be ashamed of it, we can't move forward with making it better. So I believe the first step is you have to acknowledge it and face it right on. Don't shy away from it. And then I would say you have to start identifying resources. There are a lot of resources in our community, and it's great to talk to your pastor, your religious and spiritual leaders, 
But I believe that if you're going to truly tackle mental health issues and mental health illnesses, you need to speak with a licensed professional, someone who has the education, the background and the experience and training to help you cope with those mental health problems. There's nothing wrong with contacting a mentor or a spiritual leader. In fact, I do both. I access, you know, my personal therapist and I also speak with my spiritual leaders and that works for me. But I think it's very important that you have someone who is experienced in this field to help you and learn how to help you live with the issues that you're facing from a mental health perspective. As a law student, you know, one of the things that I was able to access was uh, the lawyer assistance program. And I really benefited from that. You know, I faced a lot of challenges when I was in law school. I was a non-traditional student. I had left corporate America after 10 years and re-entered as a student. So most of my peers were 21, 22 years old, and I was a 29-year-old. So we had different life experiences. And these kids were young and full of vigor, and they could stay up all night. And I could not. It was a very different experience for me. So I had feelings of inadequacy, feelings that, you know, I, I wasn't good enough. But then I learned about the resources that the State Bar of Georgia had. And that really, really helped me. You know, it gave me the outlet and the support to speak with someone who kept me encouraged and had identified resources for me. And it was very beneficial to me. And I went on to be, you know, a very successful law school student, graduate with honors, become the outstanding 3L graduate. So I really benefited from those type of resources. So I would say acknowledge that it's real and find the resources that make you better. Uh, Marcus, thank you. I've got a couple of comments on that. Last year, I went to the Victory Church. Um, I think it's in Lawrenceville. They were holding a mental health first aid kit training. And it's a black church. Of course, I didn't know. <laughs> I ended up, you know, there was me and, and everybody else who were like deacons of the church and everything. But it was a wonderful experience. And what I really respected was that the pastor, and it's not the, the principal pastor, it was an assistant pastor, a wonderful person. And I wish I could remember his name because he is a licensed professional counselor. And if anybody needs that, they should look him up or, or email me later. I do have his name. And he started out by saying, you know, it used to be that we said, if somebody had mental illness or a substance use issue, pray over it and just pray. And he said, you know, prayer is good, but we have to take action and we have to learn and we have to learn how to help each other and we have to learn about mental illness. And I really, really respected that because he was diving into that in a community that, as you said, and as, you know, statistically known, is resistant sometimes to those things. That's the first thing. The second thing is that I really appreciate your talking about the help that you got from the Lawyer Assistance Program. I do want to make it clear that unfortunately, because Georgia has now been recognized as a mandatory bar state, we can no longer help law students. We're working on that. And if any law student needs help, call somebody on the committee. We'll help you get help. But the program itself is not available. I wish it were, and it's something that we'll continue to work on, but as of this moment, it's not. Um, Can I say one more thing on that, man? Oh, yeah. Just about the lawyer assistance program, because I'm not sure that I truly emphasize how important that lawyer assistance program was particularly impactful for me. You know, it wasn't 
just that I was a law student, but I could see myself possibly going down a dangerous path if it were not for those resources. Along with going to law school as a law student, you have a lot of stress and anxiety from financial resources. You still have families that are depending on you for leadership and financial contributions, particularly in the African-American community, because they see you as an investment almost. Like our son or our daughter is going to do exceptionally well. We're helping them now in this period because they're going to go on to be so successful. And this is going to be a leader of our family. So there's a lot of pressure on you to do well. And the lawyer assistance program, the resources that they provided for law students help you understand that, you know, it's great that you have that support system and you are going someplace, but if you're not well, and if you're not taking care of yourself, you're never going to be in a place to take care of others. So I truly do hope the state bar, you know, reevaluates that program because I'm living proof that a person can be successful by accessing those resources. It was definitely a turning point in my career in law school. Thank you. Yeah. And again, the the resources are available once you become a member of the Georgia Bar. It's just not for law students. And we are working on that. And like you said, you're living proof. And we all do know that law students now are under more stress than ever. And that a lot of the issues that people deal with later start in law school, if not before, you know, often actually before. We've talked sort of generally, but now I want to ask specifically, how are you taking care of yourself during this period? And since this is a joint initiative with the Wellness Committee of the Bar, if you could talk in terms of physical, mental, and social well-being, because those are all pillars of the Wellness Initiative, and, and I'd love to hear your take in each of those areas. So one of the things that I have done during this time, especially with um, the George Floyd incident, is just acknowledge that some days I'm just not okay. And that's one of the lessons that you learn when you've had therapy or you spoke with a counselor. It's okay to say, today, I'm just not okay. And I'm really seeing a shift in the legal environment, in the law office, because I've had partners and leaders of my firm take the initiative to reach out to myself and other lawyers and say, I get it. I understand if you're not okay today. We have enough people to work on matters to help support you take the time that you need. Three years ago, I would have kept plugging through work, didn't even acknowledge it, just kept focused because you didn't want to seem like you weren't up to the job or you couldn't perform or there was something keeping you distracted. Because particularly in big law, you have to stay focused. You can't get distracted. You want to make sure that you're on your path. But today, three years later, I really have to acknowledge the shift and just the increased concern for the well-being of associates that large law firms and other law firms are doing as well. It's really commendable. So I've had those days where I've seen the images on television. I've said, this is really affecting me in a deep personal way. Um, I connect with it. I've had experiences where, again, like I've said, that could have been me, George Floyd. So some of the things that I'm doing to protect my mental well-being is I turn off the television. I turn off the alerts on my phone so that I'm not overwhelmed and consumed with so much information that it gets me to a place that I'm just highly volatile emotionally or unstable or unbalanced. So overconsumption of news and, and pundits 
can take you to a place where you're just totally stressed out. So what I do is I meditate. I use the Calm app. I use the Headspace app. It's amazing if anybody has it out there. Well, I just take a few minutes to just reaffirm things in myself and I focus on positive things. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I have a caring family. I have people that love me. I have people that I love. And I say a lot of positive affirmations in my life to let me know that there is going to be a brighter day. And sometimes I just do a lot of breathing exercises. I take walks around in my neighborhood. I speak to my neighbors. Because on top of George Floyd, everyone's working from home. I've gotten to know my neighbors a lot better. So we'll talk on their different porches. Sometimes we'll share drinks or lemonade. Sometimes we'll walk together, you know, for a walk after work or around 6.30 or 7. And it's been really good for my mental and physical. From a social aspect, I have friends where we have a, we'll talk about George Floyd, we'll talk about COVID. But sometimes we have Zoom calls or meetings where we don't talk about those things. And we talk about fun things that we used to like to do, like going to brunch or traveling or things that were truly our passion before we were put in this position, because it, you know, it just gives us hope that not that those things aren't important, but we have to take care of ourselves as well so we can get back to a place where we can be happy and productive in our communities. Yeah, I think you probably addressed my next question. I'm going to ask it anyway, if there's anything you want to add answer it. Otherwise, we'll, we'll go on. But I'm going to ask it anyway, in case it uh, jogs anything in your mind. I have talked to lots of people who are struggling to focus on their work right now. You know, you mentioned that. They're looking at horrific pictures of people being killed, mistreated, and injured on a daily basis. And then they're asked to turn their attention to drafting a brief, you know, or editing a, a building lease, or fulfilling some mundane but necessary administrative obligation. And the way I had sort of phrased it was, what thoughts do you have for colleagues on bringing their best professional selves to the job in the midst of such pain and overwhelm? If there's anything you want to add to what you already said, please add it. Yeah, so I think I spoke earlier about, you know, the shift that I've experienced in the law firm. For good or for bad, now is the time to really strike up those conversations on all those emotions and perspectives and views that an associate has had about over-policing in the Black community or criminal justice reform. A lot of those topics we've shied away from, but the law firms are saying, we hear you, we acknowledge that there's something going on in America and we want to be a part of that conversation, even if it's just to listen. We want to hear your perspective. So, you know, the firms are inviting attorneys, please be open, talk to us, talk to someone, you know, make your opinions and thoughts known, I would really encourage attorneys to participate in that. I know my firm has had a series of roundtables with leadership amongst diverse attorneys. We've even engaged outside consultants to gather feedback of what associates think about, you know, not just current events happening like George Floyd or COVID-19 and how it impacts us as, you know, diverse attorneys, but in general, law firm operations, you know, more diverse representation when it comes to partnership and counsel in the firm. The firms are stepping up and saying, we understand this is a systemic problem and we want to do better. I think now is a time to really leverage and take advantage of that and, you know, bring your thoughts to the table. And then, you know, to your question about being overconsumed with the images and things that you see in those conversations as well, say, 
you have to say, today I'm not okay. I understand that this needs to get done and I will do it. Is there any flexibility in the timeline? Because I want to be able to give you my best work. I want to be able to service a client and provide exceptional service. And a part of that is making sure that as a, as a person, I'm in the best place that I can be to deliver to the firm and to the client what they need. And can we work together on accomplishing that? And I think it's possible. Now's the time to have those conversations. You know, I love that you said that today I'm not okay. And can we be flexible? I've done that. You know my history with mental health and, and with hospitalizations and all. And as a result, if I start to feel a certain, I don't know, fragility, for lack of a better word, there have been times where I have, I've gone to the partner in charge of the matter I'm working on and said exactly what you said. I'm not okay. And I need to take a break or, or, you know, I'll get to it in a day or two. And it has been accepted very well in my firm. And I just want to comment that I think one reason for that is I had built up a level of credibility before I ever did that. You know, when I first got to that firm, which, you know, I've, I've been in various firms, but I've been with the group I've been with for, I think, 10 years now. I put my head down for the first year and I just worked. And I didn't ask for anything. And I, you know, they, they came to know that I was a team player and that I would do what it took to service the client and, and that that was my goal. And so when it did come time later on for me to ask for something, I had that. So that's only, you know, one little thing I would throw in on that. I so agree with you. I mean, we have a lot of tragedies in, in our community, in the legal community, and often it's because people don't feel like they can say, I'm not okay. Mm -hmm. You know, every answer you've given seems to lead into the next question. And you did that on this one too. But I think there's more to say on this and I'm going to ask it. I have heard many of my white colleagues express concern that they have not known the appropriate way to reach out to their non-white colleagues since George Floyd's death. As my daughter put it, and you know, you know she's in law school. It's hard for a white person to know how to be an ally in the most productive way possible. I'm going to ask what your thoughts are on that. But first, I'm going to say, you know, I've seen more than one reaction. I've seen conflicting reactions. I've seen most people say, ask me how I am at the very least, you know, to, to white people, black people saying to white people, ask me how I am, ask me how I'm doing. But I have heard a minority of people say, I'm on overload from all my white friends and colleagues asking me how I am. I literally can't hear it again. So it is hard. It's very hard on, on, on all sides. So if you could tell me your thoughts on that, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, I, I think there isn't one way. So we are in a monolithic group and the approach is going to be different. I think it comes down to that relationship and that rapport that you've built with a black attorney or a brown attorney or a diverse attorney, period. You know, what is your relationship to them? But at the very least, what is common amongst all, I would say a majority of lawyers when it comes to being an ally and how to be the best ally is you just ask the question and you say, you know, are you okay? And if you're not, that's okay. And that's it. Are you okay? And if you're not, that's okay. I'm here if you want to talk. And if you don't want to talk, I want you to know that I'm here. And 
I'll be there for you for whatever you need in any way that I can be. Another thing that I, I would encourage our white colleagues to do is when a diverse attorney tells you, this is what I'm experiencing, this is how I feel, or this happened, give us the benefit of the doubt. Reserve your own opinions and perspectives. But when we say, hey, I experienced this with this partner, I don't know what's up with this partner, or I was working with this other colleague, and I felt like they treat this person better or give them preferential opportunities or assignments, just believe us. Reserve your own thoughts and your opinions. Just take a breather, accept what we're saying is valid, and just believe us for a moment. And just think about it. I think so many times, I've personally experienced where I've gone to the firm and I've expressed like, oh my gosh, you know, this guy's a real jerk or why is she getting all the assignments? They know I have this specific skill or capability, but they continue to give it to this other attorney and I'll get the feedback. Oh, it's not really like that. You know, they just kind of know each other. They do something else. And I'm saying, really? Because I don't feel that way, (laughs) you know, and whether it is the truth or not, I'm expressing this is how this interaction made me feel. Just accept it at that point. You know, I'm being vulnerable and saying, this is how this interaction made me feel. If you're truly my ally, just listen to me. Don't victim blame me. Just let me express it and get it out. Nine times out of 10, I have the emotional intelligence to go back and kind of like Monday morning quarterback the incident and see where I could have interacted better or maybe I could have produced a better work product or whatever it is. But I just need that ally to listen and accept my feelings as being valid in that moment. That's so crucial. That's so important not to just disregard us when we're being vulnerable and expressing, you know, how we feel about a subject or interaction or something we think can be better in our law firm. You know, I'm, it's going to take me a while to digest that. To me, that was a, some very deep information that you just gave. And part of my reaction is a real reaction to you saying the word being vulnerable and how we react to people when they're being vulnerable and how important it is to just give somebody the space if they're being vulnerable because I can't, and you, and you know I can't. I'm a, a white, older woman. That, you know, I cannot imagine exactly what your experience is, but I know what it is to decide to be vulnerable and get squashed or, or get dismissed, I guess, is, is another way. And it is not a good feeling, and it certainly doesn't build good relationships. So I appreciate your saying that, and that's really something it's something I haven't heard in the current discussions, and there are a lot of things I haven't heard. There, there will be many, many things that I need to hear and learn, but that for me, that was very important, and thank you. My last question for you is, you are part of our Young Lawyers Division of the Bar, and for me, that's the hope for the future on every front. Um, certainly on the mental health front, I've been saying for a long time, that's where the change is going to come. I may not see it, but it's starting now, and there are things people will not tolerate that we did tolerate for years and years and years. So I feel like you guys are the hope for the future, the the men and women, the young lawyers. What would you like to say to your peers in this moment? It's very simple, and it's something that 
it's two things actually. It's, it's very simple. And I truly, truly believe this and I live by it. And it's, it's something that I have as my personal mantra, live to fight another day, live to fight another day. And that simply means everything's not going to be fixed in one day. And you can't put it all out on the line in this moment to change something. You have to be here to fight for the future for other people that are depending on us. So you live to fight another day. You know, were the things happening out in this world horrific and terrible? Absolutely. I mean, there are unconscionable events that have happened to black and brown and people of color and LGBTQ people. But if we go out there and we're getting violent and we're fighting with the police, well, then we're putting ourselves in jeopardy. And we're lawyers, we're defenders of justice. This is our responsibility to make sure we are improving the law and making things better. And if we're not around to do those things, then we don't benefit anyone. So we have to live to fight another day. There's always going to be another day and everything won't get solved in one day. And also you lift as you climb. I just always feel like there's always gonna be another challenge or another goal for us to break down another barrier. So as you're climbing up that ladder, you have to bring others with you. It's not okay that we have one woman managing partner or yeah, we have a class of 20 partners and oh, we got a Hispanic in this time. Oh, woohoo, let's pat ourselves on the back. That's not good enough. The world is saying that's not good enough. Lawyers are saying that's not good enough. And the only way we can do that is as we are climbing, we're lifting others with us. Yeah, I'm glad you're recognizing me, but did you see this person? They're doing exceptional work too. They need to get recognized. So we're lifting others at the same time so that we don't take home all the accolades and the trophies for just the one and playing into tokenism. So my two things, live to fight another day and also just lift others as you climb. Very simple, easy to remember, and it's something that will motivate you every day to keep you hopeful. Simple to say, so profound, really, so profound. I'd never heard the words said that way, lift as you climb, very profound. You know, I said when I introduced you, I know that you are one of the most thoughtful, empathetic people that I know, and I think this conversation demonstrates that. I think we have run out of time, so I want to thank you for giving your time to this and your willingness to talk openly about extremely difficult and painful issues. And particularly thank you for talking to white people like me about how to be an ally and how best to step up in this moment. It's not an easy conversation to have. Thank you to our listeners for listening to this episode of the Lawyers Living Well podcast. I'm sure you got a lot out of it, as I did. And we look forward to you joining us again. Thank you. Hi, I'm Lynn Garson, Chair of the Lawyer Assistance Program. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lawyers Living Well. If you need immediate confidential help, call the LAP hotline at 1-800-327-9631. That's 1-800-327-9631. You can also visit lawyerslivingwell.org for more wellness resources through the State Bar of Georgia. That's lawyerslivingwell.org. We hope you can join us next time.